On the 11th day of Christmas, my sport bloke sent to me. So as we get to the pointy end of our little run here with 11 pipers piping, we have an obvious topic here with drugs in sport. We'll have a little bit of fun with this, won't we, Stewie? But the stakes are high and obviously there are some sad stories too. So please don't try this at home, kids. No, Try this down the, the park. The but, stakes are oh, high. Yeah. They're not the only people that are going to be high in this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Way to both of us ruin my disclaimer there. Yeah. Follow up a serious statement with complete lack of... Anyway. Drugs are bad and cool. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's been any number of drug scandals over the years, and nearly everyone will immediately think of the obvious ones. We've got Lance Armstrong. We've got Ben Johnson. We've got Diego Maradona. Dare I say even Warney, though I do still believe his excuse was a vanity thing and he was trying to keep the weight off and his death kind of was in that vein too, the shock weight loss and that sort of thing. I don't know. Do you feel he was dodgy? Or... Ah, look, it's hard. He, was, was he, he wasn't the roids, was he? No, you know? but no I wouldn't, wouldn't have thought necessarily. I'm actually disappointed you didn't mention Marion Jones in there. Ah, well, she's coming. Oh! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So we talked about sporting couples on episode 177. We have some drug cheat turtle doves caught up in the Balco scandal in former world shot put champion CJ Hunter and his former wife track and field wait, star wait, 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 and former basketballer. Wait, I know this one. Ah, <laughs> no, Marion Jones. Okay. Marion Jones. I should have read your screen. No, that's all right. Well, you know, bit of chat. Yep. So CJ actually passed away in 2021. May he rest in peace. But as far as wider spread controversies are concerned, we also have the biogenesis scandal in Major League Baseball about a decade ago. And who can forget most recently the ROC or Russia's Olympic ban following a very sophisticated doping regimen involving people reaching in and replacing samples. Yep. No, there was also with little secret rooms and secret doors. And I mean, obviously, on that same sort of note, obviously the Chinese kind of had a little bit yes, of history. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. The wide world of sports, with, yeah. Sweet and sour from, yeah. With yeah. weed doping and yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a little bit kind of all around the world there. I guess they're probably the two biggest ones. Though. Yes, oh yes, they're very memorable. Now, some others that you may have forgotten about though or didn't know, and a couple of sad ones too, it has to be said, as I said at the top. So five-time major winner Martina Hingis tested positive for cocaine while at Wimbledon in 2007. They found traces in two of her tests and banned her for two years, but she denied using it and quit tennis never to return, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I, yeah, I did forget about that We've one. We've talked about it too, but yeah. Mm, it's, it's obviously a, a real shame. I mean, I think we all remember the whole Swiss Miss thing when she came in in the late 90s and started winning Grand Slams at the age of 16 and just looked like she was ready to dominate tennis for the next probably 15 Forever. years. Forever, yeah, yeah. There's talk of her being the greatest of all time, potentially. And we went to school with a bloke that was absolutely yes. obsessed with her and had a major crush on her because that was all when we were going through high school. Yeah, yep. she's probably similar age to us. Shout out to TC. I won't give the full name. Yeah. but uh, the... Well, and given this episode, probably THC. Anyway... <laughs> Known as one of the greatest climbers in cycling, the pirate Marco Pantani failed a drug test in 1999, Giro d'Italia and drug issues the rest of his career, culminating in him being found dead in a hotel room in 2004, having spent over $20,000 on cocaine with six times the lethal level in his bloodstream. So that was a sad one. Jeez, if you're going to do it, do it properly, I yeah. guess. Well, yeah, I know, right? Cycling's always been a bit problematic with this stuff. So back in 1967, Tom Simpson died after the Tour de France. Officially, it was listed as a heart attack due to dehydration initially. However, tubes of amphetamines were found in his jersey and the autopsy confirmed traces of them. Mm. So he was pumping that through the jersey. A bit weird. That's, that is weird. 
His death was what led to the International Cycling Union banning the use of performance-enhancing drugs. So he was a pretty key one there, and that goes back, as I say, to the mid to late 60s. Pioneer, you could say. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Anyway, now that's all a bit bleak. Before we get any further, funnily enough, you even tackled the issue of recreational drugs all the way back in episode two, and it was from an angle of a bit more levity. So let's play that clip right now. Bit of information there that's a bit of fun time. I don't even remember. <laughs> when you can enjoy this again. I will, I will indeed. So what I wanted to do, I guess, off the back of that, and just to, again, to finish off the the episode with a a bit of a laugh, some of the more ridiculous stories of players being drunk or high, but actually still doing quite well. Some amazing ones out there. So we'll, we'll start off in the tennis world. In 1997, Davis Cup was on in Adelaide and and Australia were playing the Czech Republic. And Pat Rafter and Mark Filipousis decided, you know what, Australia's up 3-0, we've won the tie, there's a couple of dead rubbers tomorrow, let's go out in the town. For someone who's gone out in Adelaide and had a few drinks, it's quite a fun place to to go drinking in. And they obviously, yeah, tied one on very, very hard. And Pat Rafter actually played a Davis Cup match the following day, still drunk, and actually won the match. As long as he didn't try and serve Moore's Poles. Oh, for people who don't know or who haven't been to Adelaide, you've got the, uh, is it the, it's the Rundle Street Mall, isn't it, Nath? Rundle Mall, yeah. Rundle Mall, yeah. And there's these, these two massive balls, basically one on top of each other that are a, uh, synonymous, I guess, with the centre of Adelaide. It was, Nathan lived in Adelaide for a few years and it was kind of a meet-up place before everyone had mobile phones. You would sort of meet up. That's right, there. yes. That's exactly right. Before mobile phones were prevalent, uh, I spent my late high school years in Adelaide and it was always meet-up malls, Pauls. You can't miss them. They're ridiculously big. And these players had pretty big balls to be under the influence and compete in professional It's impressive. It is. It is very impressive. So the next one I wanted to quickly mention, I guess, is John Daly. And his isn't so much a single incident, but rather a a career. I I was listening to a a story, um, an interview we did with with Graham Bensinger. And John Daly's binge drinking got to the point where he he claimed that he played in a number of tournaments where he'd be out drinking until 7 o'clock in the morning, have a tea time at 8.05, and only just be sobering up by the 13th or 14th hole. And he played some of his best golf while he was still drunk which is just fascinating he reckons that, that yeah most of his best rounds were while he was under the influence of alcohol it just almost gets performing it's enhancing at that point doesn't it it almost is i mean it, he was talking about the fact that he's not an alcoholic but he's a binge drinker he was trying to certainly make a point for there being a difference between the two but he would say that he wouldn't drink for three or four months and then all of a sudden he would drink every day for two months and he'd be drinking half a case to a case of beer in a night and uh, and then get onto the whiskey from there so he was a, a very very big drinker and constantly you hear stories that he would tell of points where he was drinking to a point where where people actually thought he should be dead there was one point where he blacked out and woke up in a hospital, I think it was, and the nurse had said, what you have, you have as, as a blood alcohol content, you shouldn't be alive. So he's, he's a fascinating one. Keon Clark, who had a six-year career in the NBA, very solid role player with a number of teams, including Toronto and Sacramento, apparently never played a single game sober. He would drink between half a pint and a pint of gin every day. This all came out, funnily enough, in a drugs case that he was having. So while he was in court fighting a drug charge, he actually spoke about this, which was fascinating. Really, really interesting to hear because I, I watched many a game he was a part of and you, you could not tell. I was actually quite a fan of his. I thought he was a handy big man. And speaking of handy big man, well, this bloke was more than handy. This bloke is a Hall of Famer. <laughs> oh, yes. The, uh, the round mound of rebound, Charles Barkley in 1992. 
This is another one that's been doing the rounds in uh, in social media fairly recently. Yeah, in 1992, he got told by his agent that he'd been traded to the Los Angeles Lakers, I, I believe for James Worthy. And to celebrate the fact that he was getting out of Philadelphia, he went out on the town with a few of his friends and they'd been drinking, I think, from about midday to 3, 3.30 roughly. And then the 76ers pulled out of the deal at the last minute. So Charles was absolutely hammered and actually ended up having to play that night. And he remembers very little of the game. Um, and there's varying there reports many, about the game, there isn't are. there? Because some people say he played well and others say he was horrendous. Yeah, there was. I've read reports that said he had 23 and 10, others where he had eight points and four rebounds. Look, either way, it's certainly not something that, that I would recommend. I mean, he would have been blind by that stage. So now we get into baseball. So David Wells of the New York Yankees, there was an incident where he got home at five o'clock in the morning after being out all night drinking and had one hour of sleep. It was also a day, I believe it was a beanie baby day. So half the crowd were kids making an insane amount of noise. So you can imagine trying to do your job hungover, even in complete silence, but then doing that with all that deafening screaming. And he went out and pitched a perfect game, which is incredibly difficult to do sober. So full exactly. There's not many people that have done it under normal There's circumstances. No. So to do that with a splitting headache, a nasty, nasty hangover and one hour of sleep is just insane. Now, speaking of insane, this is probably one of the more insane ones that I've heard. A guy named Doc Ellis, who played with the Pittsburgh Pirates back in the 1970s, apparently once threw a no-hitter against the Padres after taking two LSD tabs. He apparently thought the game was the next day, so he thought he had enough time to take the drugs, have a good time, and come down in time for the game. But from all reports, he couldn't even tell who he was pitching to. All he could really see was a silhouette that told him that they were a left-hander or a right-hander. So he was just going by feel at that stage. NFL's not without stories either, Stewie. I believe that, well, this, I've seen Kenny Stabler in, in a Super Bowl documentary talk about how speed was regularly used. But you have an interesting story about another Oakland Raider. I do. I do. A a quarterback by the name of Todd Marinovich. So this guy basically had a massive problem with crack and heroin. He would quite frequently be using during the games as well, which is interesting. He would go back at halftime and go into the stalls and light up. And during one game, he was actually trying to smoke some crack in in a bathroom stall when his pipe broke and it actually cut his finger and it filled his bloodstream up with rock, basically. And what does he do? He goes straight back out in the field and starts calling plays. Yeah, Incredible. you could not imagine that. But probably my favorite one in keeping with the football one, I think this is my favorite story of the lot just purely because of the situation. So it goes back to the first ever Super Bowl and backup receiver Max McGee. So it's towards the end of his career. He was a backup at that stage, just didn't really think he was going to have anything to do during the game. He went out and broke team curfew and absolutely got hammered he got home at 6 30 in the morning actually walked past his quarterback in in the hallway on his way to breakfast and so he'd had no sleep he was hungover as anything the first thing he does is he goes up to the regular receiver apologies i didn't grab his name but the first thing he said this yeah the start i don't actually have his name first thing he says to him is don't go getting injured out there i'm not in good shape and of course on you know, the second back. or third play of the yeah second third play of the game This guy gets absolutely destroyed, has to walk off the field. I think he did his shoulder. In goes Max McGee, and he actually ended up scoring the first ever touchdown in Super Bowl history with an incredible hangover. So So what's the message? What's the moral of the story, kids? Yeah, no, we won't go there. Drop out of school and do drugs, apparently. No, (laughs) obviously not. These are incredible, incredible stories that are real outliers. Well, that's the thing. Obviously, for all the cases of ridiculous happenstance, there's millions of cases where people have abused substances and probably 
ruin their career as a result or at very least had a bad game. But anyway, this is Piper's piping. So we'd be remiss not to concentrate on the drugs that require a pipe rather than, well, a nose or a vein to stick an IV drip into, for example. Are IV drips drugs? Well, the, what's in them, Mark? <laughs> Sorry. Blood doping. Well, is that uh, drug? It's performance enhancing. I don't know. I'm far too innocent. Anyway, Piper's Piper. We're talking about Piper's Piper. Yeah. Now, the world of sports really changed its perspective on cannabis in recent years. A lot of this has been driven out of the laws changing in the USA, for example, and we'll get to this in a moment. But prior to that, we had some pipe-related scandals. Now, the obvious one that comes to mind is Michael Phelps, who had his photo taken of him ripping a cone at a party at the University of Southern California. Do you remember that one? Uh, very, very vaguely, I think. But okay. I think that was kind of an era where a lot of people were getting caught up in that sort of stuff. So they were kind of blending into one, like a big puff of smoke. Really. This, is, <laughs> this one was particularly bad because he was literally ripping the cone. Like he had his mouth on the thing, you know. There's some plausible deniability. Yeah, some, some there was no it. plausible deniability there. <laughs> and look, he owned it. He admitted to it. So a couple of others that I've dug up that you may or may not know. And look, thanks largely to Wikipedia here, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. Now, it probably comes as no surprise that a medical review found that cannabis consumption, and I quote, cannabis consumption was found to be the highest among athletes seeking the high risk and excitement competing in extreme sports. So that includes skateboarding, snowboarding. So they'll test you and they won't let you compete if you're not high. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like the, the whole skateboarding and snowboarding community, you just... I don't know. I feel like I'm generalizing here, but you kind of feel like they are the sort of guys that would be oh, stoned. Stoned. <laughs> like I said, like, what, you're not high? No, go and rip one and then we'll let yeah. you on to No, in all seriousness, though, Canadian Ross Regaliati had a gold medal in snowboarding temporarily rescinded after testing positive for cannabis at the 1998 Winter Olympics in Nagano. He claimed it was from secondhand smoke and got off on a technicality because at that stage, amazingly, the IOC hadn't banned for cannabis and had no right to strip the medal. It did, however, impact on his career. He was put on the no-fly list to the USA, for example, meaning he couldn't compete in the X Games. And in that sort of sport, the X Games is almost bigger than the Olympics. Pretty much everything, It's yeah. pretty big, yeah. Now, speaking of Japan, this one's a bit of a doozy. I have a feeling either we've talked about this or you definitely know about this. Anyway, in what was referred to as the biggest sports scandal in Japanese history, in mid-2008, four secretory-ranked sumo wrestlers Wakanoho, Roho, Hakurozan, and... Hadouken! <laughs> oh, no, wait, sorry, that looks like it's, it's Wakakirin, Waka actually, sorry. I don't mind, actually, I wouldn't mind whacking a Kirin right now. Or an Asahi. Yeah, 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 good point, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love drinking Japanese beer. <laughs> anyway, they were dismissed from the Japan Sumo Association, with the chairman also resigning. The JSA later ruled that any retirement packages for those foursome would be reduced or denied completely. And then later in 2021, a wrestler called... Takajenji was dismissed after admitting to smoking on eight separate occasions. Oh, I know, right? What an absolute monster. What an addict. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. In 1999, English Rugby Union stripped Lawrence Delaglio, you can tell I'm not a rugby union fan, of the captaincy after it came out that he'd smoked whilst on a rugby tour. Ricky Williams famously walked away from the NFL so he could basically keep enjoying the Bob Marley. He pissed off to the Caribbean for a while. He did come back. Nice place. Yeah, a bloody nice place. In 2017, NASCAR ordered a team to remove a sponsorship deal from a cannabis company, even though it was now legal in many of the states. There were a few drivers that were driving very slowly around. <laughs> well, they kept going to the drive-thru. Yeah. Right? 
like, like, just, just really, really cautiously driving at about 20 miles an hour while people fly. Yeah, with 20 nuggets in the passenger seat. <laughs> Uh, in, in the cricket world, David Murray admitted after his career that he smoked before and after the day's play, but never in the breaks. It's important. Beefy Botham was suspended for 63 days by the ECB after he admitted to smoking cannabis in 1986. That's a pretty hefty suspension, actually. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. By the ECB standard. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, don't smoke cannabis, but, no. but it's okay, you know, rubbing the ball on, oh, on, on, on the ball. It's fine, it's yeah, fine, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, a few of these blokes are over here at the moment with the Pakistan tour. Wazim Akram, Wakar Yunus, Akib Javed, and Mustak Ahmed, one of my favourite spinners of all time, were arrested in Grenada in 1993 for possession of the devil's letters. Grenada, again, pretty... Uh, yeah, beautiful place. Pretty decent spot. Yeah, yeah. In 1995, Steve Fleming admitted to smoking with Matthew Hart and Dion Nash while on tour with the Kiwis. Mm-hmm. In 2001, Roger Telemarkus, Andre Nell, Paul Adams, Justin Kemp, and Herschel Gibbs were fired. Is it 10,000 Rand after being caught smoking at a party? Yep. Closer to home, an Australian team from Inverloch once provided chocolate cupcakes to their opposition from Nerina without telling them that they were special cupcakes. Oh, yeah. I think it's Nerina. It's not Nerina. Nerina? No idea. I should know that. I'm pretty good with Aussie names. Anyway, Darren Gunja just had a great name. It's Ganga, isn't it? <laughs> well, it doesn't matter. It's Gunja. Doesn't and, matter. And finally, I've got to save the best for last. It was spelt the same as Gunja. I'm pretty sure. That's a good point. And then finally, I've got to save the best for last year. In 2005, a bloke by the name of Keith, you guessed it, Keith Piper, was suspended by the Warwickshire County Cricket Club for the rest of the season for enjoying, let's say, a green top a little bit too much. Oh dear, rowdy, rowdy, Roddy Piper. Now, finally, as I mentioned, the tide has turned. Funnily enough, I did think about rowdy, Roddy Piper. Yeah, that was what came to me when you started talking about this. As I mentioned, the tide has turned. In 2016, Eugene Munro and Derek Morgan became the first active NFL players to publicly challenge the league's cannabis policy. Several active and retired players then signed a letter penned by the Doctors for Cannabis Regulation as a lighter alternative to opioid painkillers. We know there's a lot of problems with opioid painkillers. And in all seriousness, look, a lot of people do just use it for fun, but a lot of people do use it legitimately for pain relief. And they have a lot less side effects, a lot less. So I can see why they've done this. Obviously, the tides changed in the US. Other countries may or may not follow suit. It's really interesting. We were in Thailand recently. Once upon a time, you could get killed for smoking weed. Now they have dispensaries everywhere. It's so weird, including a place that said Australian Pharmacy, and it just had a big weed leaf. Wow. <laughs> this I, was in Koh Samui. I would still be so petrified <laughs> to go near that stuff over there. <laughs> Anyway, and in 2017, Al Harrington convinced David Stern in a similar vein, and now several active and former players have investments in cannabis companies. So we've talked about Chris Webber on our choke specials in the 1993 redraft, but other guys include KD, AI, Sean Kemp, Isaiah Thomas, Ben Wallace, Dwayne Wade, Carmelo Anthony, John Wall, Paul Pierce, John Sally, the list goes on and on. Of course, Uncle Cliffy, may he rest in peace, he copped a suspension or two over the years a couple of times, if I'm not mistaken. Is that artificial intelligence Cliff inv- investing in it? Is that AI? Oh, Alan Iverson. Yeah. Ah, yes, of course. That's That makes way more... No, obviously. And let's finish with this quote from Coleman Bentley in Golf Digest. Like everything else in life, moderation is key. A little bit of marijuana, in this case around 18 milligrams, can help to relax muscles and calm nerves, aiding distance and overall tea-to-green performance. Tea-to-green, indeed. Ah. Consume in excess of that, however... And focus, energy, hand-eye coordination, and munchies become major impediments. In the most general terms, marijuana use on the golf course reflected our experience with alcohol. 
A little goes a long way, but a little too much will have you playing from the wrong fairway for the rest of the afternoon. Interesting. I can imagine again, like going back to the munchies, like, you know, you've got the, the cart girls that drive around with all the drinks. <laughs> <stuff. laughs> you got any sandwiches? Yeah, go and get some macas. Yeah. some pies, you know, any, any of the good stuff. Uh, so there you go, Shuey. We're nearly at the 12 days of sport blokes. One more to come. We'll see you tomorrow. Indeed.